Okay, so we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for October 24, 2010. We'll get right into fasting. I'm trying to get through this 27-page document. It's kind of tough, though. Um, let's see if we can do it here. Fasting. The Bible says, Jesus Christ said in Matthew 17, 21, but this kind uh, go without, but not but by prayer and fasting. So there's a certain type of devil or demon that if it was besetting you in your life, it's not going to go out but by prayer and fasting. Now, this article that I'm quoting from is from another ministry, and I don't think they always use King James, and I'm sorry, but I, it's hard for me to always police every single ministry that I'm uh, quoting from. Okay, Most ministries have no clue about the KJV issue. Okay, But it doesn't mean that you can't glean from them. This is called Breaking Demonic Strongholds. And, and again, I didn't author this, but and I'm not saying I would agree with every single thing in this ministry. But I'm just saying, I, I did read through this, and it seemed as though they had some really good things that they brought up. And they give you very specific things on, like, they've got a section on water fasting, juice fasting, the master cleanse, uh, it's a cleansing fast, spiritual fasting, intercession and fasting, for fasting weapons, fasting scriptures, how to break a fast. Now remember, their scriptures I'm pretty sure aren't KJV. But, you know, I, I, I can't do everything. I have got, you know, you can always go to the KJV and look at what that has. Uh, but it's very, very hard a lot of times when you're looking for a niche subject like this to find a ministry that's going to give you a really solid article on a particular biblical subject and only use KJV. Sometimes it just doesn't exist. So we kind of have to do the best with what we can work with. So um, this starts out by, with a guy named Bobby, and he says... Uh, not only did the fast enable the eviction of demons, I guess from him, but I started to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit within. I've been a Christian for less than a year, and I still deal with a lot of bondage due to traumatic past, which has included a long list of foster homes. I had endured abuse, was raped at the age of five. Oh, God bless him. Lord, and I know these foster homes are notorious for Abuse. Not saying they all are bad, but I'm saying a lot of them are. Uh, sexual abuse, mental, physical abuse. You know, a lot of sick people get into that system. And to them, these children are nothing more than another paycheck from the government. And then they can also use them as their little plaything, and it's sickening. But God bless them. Uh, and again, I'm not making a blanket statement. I'm saying that, that it does happen, though, within the system quite a bit. So, then it goes on to say, the cruelty turned me cold and resentful, causing me to become an abuser myself. This in turn resulted in a broken marriage, drug addiction, alcoholism, and a depraved sex life. In search of the answer, I fell into the hands of cults who use brainwashing and hypnotism. Their methods opened the doors for demonic activity. Well, he had already done that, and this was just further opening them. A friend prayed with me to break the result of the manifestation and to bring me to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Their efforts were unsuccessful. After which fasting was suggested. I was told about the power and potency of prayer that can be obtained during a fast. Not only did the fast enable the eviction of demons, but I started to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit within me. Exciting and wonderful things started to happen after the third day of the fast. God actually used me to help put a marriage back together. I could feel the Holy Spirit directing me on what I must do and say. Now I fast regularly to keep my spirit attuned with the Lord. 
Okay, this is a testimony by a guy named Randy Corbin. He says, I was able to hear from God better than I had ever heard from him before. My mind wasn't cluttered with all the junk from a normal day. And this goes on to say, on Sunday my pastor quoted Matthew 6, 16, where Jesus said, when you fast, with the emphasis on the word when. He went on to say the biblical fasting has been a part of Christianity just like prayer. So privately I decided to attempt the fast. Very few people who I talked to had ever fasted before. To be honest, I was curious to see what would happen. I could not imagine, have imagined the remarkable journey I was about to initiate. So again, it's when you fast, not if. But again, this isn't a subject the church hardly ever talks about. Because it's crucifying the flesh, and crucifying the flesh is not fun. And just for the record, my uh, I, the most I've ever done is a week. And I did, during that week, I did three days, no water, no food for three days, and then another four days without food. You really shouldn't go any more than three days without water or food. That's a really hardcore one. I wouldn't, definitely don't start out with that. But, um, um, yeah, uh, anyway, I just, I don't want to just sit up here and act like, you know, I'm saying everybody else should do this, and yet I've never done anything like this. And I've never done a 40-day fast like they're talking about. Not to say I couldn't do it, but again, um, that is something I've never embarked on. And I would, again, you need to have a clear leading of the Lord to do that. And generally speaking, if you were to even attempt something like that, uh, you would need to have really clear confirmation. And there's other ways you would build up to that. It's not something you probably just start out with, typically. So, he goes on to say, it all started with a six-day fast. The first day wasn't that bad. There were no ill effects, but I could see no gains from it either. The second day was harder. It sounded like there was a war going on in my stomach. I felt tired and had panicky emotions about me. Towards the end of the third day, my hunger pains were gone. And I'll be honest with you. <laughs> um, when I did it, I didn't notice that. I mean, by the seventh day, I was, oh, wow. It was tough. Really tough. I read a lot of people, and they're saying by the third day, their hunger pangs are gone. Personally, I never experienced that. Okay, so everybody's different. I'm not going to sit up here and guarantee you that it's going to be smooth sailing after the third day. Um, I'm not saying the Lord can't do that for you, but it just depends on the person, I think, as well. And so he goes on to say, toward the end of the third day, I felt my hunger pains were gone. And that is when I started focusing on Christ. I spent four hours reading my Bible. Also, I noticed my energy level had picked up, and I really started feeling closer to Christ. On the fifth and sixth days, I could feel the presence of God in things that I had never experienced before. I can remember sitting on a large rock out in a field, and it was as if I could feel His very presence. Uh, I ended my fast on the seventh day. Um, uh, let's see here. I found a place where I could be alone with God. I served myself communion, Lord's Supper, as my way of ending the fast. I think that's what I did too. And, that, and that's, um, I think that's an excellent way to end a fast like that. This fast was only six days, but I learned how fasting builds a relationship with God. A small six-day fast brought about questions. If I had gained so much from six days, what would happen if I went further? A few months later, my pastor gave me the chance to answer that question when he asked us to join him for a 40-day fast. I said yes. I knew that the first week was going to be was going to be like, but in the weeks that followed, neither I nor anyone else in my church knew what to expect. 
First, here are some physical changes that I experience. When you fast, parts of your body get a chance to rest. The liver, the pancreas, the intestines, and other parts are all but, well, he says shut down. I don't agree with that. They're working, but they're expelling toxins much of the time. It allows, what it does is it allows energy that your body would normally be devoting to digesting food to work internally on maybe some, I don't know, internal projects that your body would like to deal with. Like, let's say you've got all kind of heavy metal toxicity or whatever. You're going to lose weight, and it's a known fact that adipose tissue or fat tissue stores toxins. So what's going to happen for a lot of people is they're going to start expelling toxins as they burn the fat because you're going to go into what they call ketosis when you go into a fast like this where your body is starting to cannibalize itself and it will start to cannibalize what you really want to cannibalize is the fat because it will start using the fat as energy. Fat has like 9 calories per gram of of, um. It's, it's about double that of carbohydrates or protein. So it's, it's a superior energy source as far as burning it. Um, and as you're burning the fat, you're going to be releasing toxins, particularly in the day and times we're living in, because it's such a toxic environment we live in. Now, I'm always doing detoxing, always. And when I, a lot of times, honestly, I'll go a day without eating, or I'll go three quarters of a day without eating. And sometimes it's like day after day after day where I'm actually going really long period. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about I'm doing a two-week fast or a one-week, but that's how a lot of times what I'm doing now is it's almost like all the time I'm missing at least a meal or two or something. And I've been detoxing in a detox mode for years just because I know how toxic things are. So it's kind of like the Lord will lead different people to do different things as well, I think. Um, I don't think that if I were to do this, I would experience things so dramatic because I've been detoxing for years. I've done specific detoxes. I've done fasting ongoing. I'll bet not 40 days. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's going to be a little bit different for everyone that tries this. If you have never detoxed and you've eaten a garbage diet, okay, and you tr- you go into a hardcore fast, you better watch out because your body's going to start dumping toxins like you wouldn't believe. You better be drinking a lot of water to flush the toxins out. And again, you want to you you don't want to go too crazy unless God's giving you a clear mandate to do that. Um, so let's go further. Uh, gives your body liver, pancreas, and te- well, it really gives your whole body a chance to rest and rebuild. This allows them to not only rest and detoxify, but also heal. During my second long-term fast, I was healed of diabetes. All the years of garbage that had been building up in my body was gotten rid of from end to end. See, your body can actually expel the toxins when you you fast. Okay? Uh, Which resulted in a better feeling of mental and physical health. I lost an average of one quarter to one pound per day. I wanted to keep my fast a secret from most people, but I didn't want to lie to them either. If you drop 30 to 40 pounds in a little more than a month, people are going to notice. I simply told them I was watching when I ate. When I went through that really super dark time in my life, and I, I, that was when I did a, the week fast with three days, no food, no water, in the middle of the week. Within a 60-day period, out of the 60 days, I fasted about 45 of those, 40 days. 
I'd say. Not constant. I didn't do it. I mean, I was a doctor seeing patients in a clinical setting, and I would go two or three days without food, maybe have a day where I ate some. I didn't even want to eat. I was so in such a dark time in my life. I didn't even want to eat. I was a wreck. And um, it was really, really tough to see patients, especially. You know, and um, anyway, I've done, I've, I've given that testimony before. I think it was on the imprecatory prayer one. I gave that testimony if you want to hear more about that. But I lost, I went from, oh boy, at the time, I went from about, I know I lost 35 pounds in those two months. And so I went from about, oof, 220, 220, to, my word, I got down to about 175 or something, or 185, I don't know, yeah, about, about, yeah, about 185, 180 to 185, so, again, you know, he's saying he dropped about 35 to 40 pounds, I dropped 35 in two months, and, um, so, yeah, it, it's, um, people will notice. I mean, obviously, you drop that much weight that quick, you're, you're going you're gonna to notice. Um, th- he told him he was just watching what you ate. Remember, the Bible says when you fast, don't go about in uh, bright garments and proclaim that you're fasting to everyone, okay? It's not something you, you want to draw attention to yourself about. Because it's not about you, it's about your relationship with the Lord and, um, and then he goes on to say, somewhere around the end of the second or third week, my liver dumped its toxins and passed in my stool about a one, once a week. It was a very unpleasant smell. Sorry I'm saying all this stuff, but it, I mean, it is something that you would expect. Okay, which is good. I mean, do you want the stuff in you? Like whenever I put somebody in a parasite cleanse and, and like they start passing like these, you know, alien-like creatures in their stool, like in the second and third day. And they're like, oh, I can't, you know, and they're all grossed out. I'm like, well, do you want them inside you? Do you want those little buddies inside you, you know? I mean, to me, it'd be like, wow, uh, I want to do it even more. I want to get rid of these things. And most people have parasites, big time. Now, a fast is most likely not going to expel parasites. It might. You might starve them to death. You're going to definitely starve candida if you've got yeast or candida. I mean, this is this is an alternative to colloidal silver, I guess, if you wanted to kill all the yeast. It, it, and, you know, it's, it's, it's true because candida has to have either carbohydrates or alcohol to survive. That's why alcoholics are loaded with candida. That's why when you go to a bar, you'll see pretzels on the bar. And they'll be, because they eat carbohydrates, the pretzels, and they'll, and they'll drink their beers or whatever other, and the, and the, the liquor and the beer and the alcohol feeds the candida as well as do the carbs. They're loaded with candida or yeast. It's in the bloodstream. It's not just something women get. It's something most people are loaded with if you're a carbo junkie. And, and, I, and I admit, I mean, I'm, a, you know, I, I'm prone to that myself. Normally, once you're prone to candida, you're always going to be. You know, we all have our weak links in our chain, and, and some people are just more prone to it than others. Well... This is a way you'd probably kill about all the candida in your body if you're fasting. Because we can't live off water. But I don't think it's going to kill on the parasite end. I've rarely ever heard people fasting and then passing all kind of parasites. 
That's something that generally you need to do herbs. I like to use um, Zymex 2 by Standard Process. It's an enzymatic way to actually digest the parasites. Um, they have what they call a hard... They have an exoskeleton made of protein. And Zymex 2 are proteolytic enzymes. The word proteo means they're protein-digesting enzymes, and they actually go in there and... Um, dissolve the protein shell of the parasite kills them. But I, I do it in conjunction with a product called Wormwood Complex by Mediherb, which are some uh, different herbs, Wormwood and I think Black Walnut Hulls and Stamona Root. And, anyway, you use those and that is kind of like you're, you're going after the parasites with a one-two punch. And uh, you're killing it on the herbal side and you're killing them from the enzymatic side and that way you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. And with with parasites, I, you know, it's just one of those things. You want to make sure they're all gone. So, generally what I tell them parasite cleanses is you do one large bottle of each, the Zymex 2 and the Wormwood Complex by Medierb. Now, again, you could go to a health food store and you can get a parasite cleanse. Uh, so, you do, you do the cleanse and um, generally do one bottle of each. You do the Zymex 2 in an empty stomach always. Wormwood Complex you can take with food. Or whatever parasite cleanse you're going to do. If it's herbal, it doesn't matter if you do it with or without food. But generally, if you're still passing parasites, and you'll know it, by the end of the cleanse, let's say it's a 21-day cleanse or 30-day, if you're still passing them, wait 10 days and then hit it again. Because what will happen is, is the parasites know they're being killed and they will regress into the organ systems further and try to hide from the herbs or from these what they perceive to be poisons. But when you give them a 10-day break, they tend to come out again, and then you hit them again. It's how you have to kill parasites. So, And don't think you're going to always pick them up in a stool sample either. Because parasites will hide, and they, you won't necessarily find parasites in the stool, and you could still have them. So, again, stool sample isn't the definitive way of knowing. Uh, I do have a newsletter that I send out that gives you a little quiz. You can even go up on the internet and key in like, Parasite questionnaire, and there's questions they'll ask you about, and, and if you score high on that, there's a good chance you got parasites. Okay, so anyway, I just wanted to throw that in. Uh, okay, so as my body continued to purify itself, there was a color change in my urine. The process continued during the last of the fast. All my senses were multiplied. My sense of smell increased beyond belief. I can remember being able to tell one tree from another by its smell. Also, things like perfume and deodorant actually became offensive as they were incredibly overpowering. Well, see, everything's going to work better. All your senses are going to work better. Uh, then he says, my desire to eat went away. Wow. Uh, that would make it a lot easier. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. <laughs> that one would make it a lot easier to do a fast if your desire to eat went away. But it is. It's crucifying the flesh. It's not fun to do. you know. Now, if you get in a real dark time in your life, if you're like me, you won't want to eat. It's like, no problem. God, no problem. I don't want to eat anyway. <laughs> so, that's when I know it's a no-brainer for me to fast. It, you know. And um, Anyway, but that's not to say that's going to be the same way for everybody. Okay? Then he goes on to say, I noticed a strange odor coming from my breath. Well, the body was detoxing from every avenue it could detox from. 
Then he says, what I gained spiritually was beyond description. You will feel closer to God than you have ever felt in your life. The desire to be alone with God will increase to an insatiable hunger. I, will, I was able to hear from God better than I'd ever because my mind wasn't cluttered with all the junk of the normal day. I learned to know the presence of God in a way that becomes constant and personal. You will also learn how to balance your spiritual life. Um, how you also learn how out of balance your spiritual life can become when it's centered on the world. In other words, you get things in perspective a lot better. Ending a long-term fast can be physically challenging. Because of the greatest spiritual gain, I actually found myself not wanting to eat again. Wow. God bless them, man. I mean, that's, 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 praise the Lord. That's awesome. Then he goes on to say, if I learned anything from the fast, it was that to get alone with God regularly. If you want to boil biblical fasting down in a nutshell, it is a time to draw near to God. And again, that's why I kind of picked this article because I thought there was a lot of really good tenets and things that he brought up that, that I think that would be of benefit. Now, again, if you want to explore this, there's a whole bunch of links within that article. I just can't... Very hard for me to have time to do dedicated studies anymore. And this is one that... Um, there, on my word, I, I could probably do 15-parter on fasting if you really wanted to cover all aspects of it. And there's different kinds of fasting. There's like the Daniel fast, in, in where, where you're, you're cutting out certain food groups. Um, and then there's the three-day... I, I view the three-day no water, no food fast as like the most extreme of the extreme. Because the Bible says regarding that fast, if I perish, I perish. You could kill yourself with, with no water, no food. Um... So, I've done that one on, I think, three occasions. Three days, no food. Because, I mean, I figure if I'm going to get hardcore, I'm going to go ahead and do it. You know, and if, you, if you're desperate, if you're desperate to get a hold of God, I mean, really desperate, you be, I mean, God can motivate you to do things that you would have thought, I, I'm not going to do that. But he can motivate you, trust me. And pain is a tremendous motivator. God's chastening is a tremendous motivator, <laughs> let me tell you. So, um, not to say like I'm Mr. Whatever, spiritual kingpin, done it all, seen it all, you know. But I, I know pain's a tremendous motivator, that's one thing I do know. So let's go further. During your fast, you will have periods of great joy and battles of depression. Now, what I tell patients is if I put them on a liver detox, and... Um, Oh, and just so you know, I can't accept any more patients. I can deal with nutrient orders and things like that, but I can't take on any more patients. I'm just too busy with the ministry right now. I can try to give advice and things like that if I can, but I'm only one person. I can only do so much. I can barely keep up with what I've got on my plate, with the emails I'm being bombarded with. And if you do email me, um, I would ask that you try to keep it as short as possible because... Sometimes I get gigantic emails from people, and it's not fair to the other people that also have questions. And they're also, a lot of these people are very desperate. And I want to try to help them, but it's hard when you're trying to prepare a 25, 30-page PDF every week, edit it, put all the links in, put all the Bible verses that pertain to it, answer I don't know how many emails per day. Sometimes I, I don't even know how many I get on a given day. And then deal with general life in general, you know, with my daughter and, and everything else. 
And it's really challenging to try to get it all done. And it never ends with, with the emails because they just keep coming in and coming in and coming in. And then I have to, you know, process the teachings and then put it online. And it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, it really is. So, um, yeah, if you could keep it, you know, short as succinct as possible, I'd, I'd appreciate it. And um, sometimes I'll email people back also, just so some of you know. Sometimes I'll email back people, and it'll come back to me. I'll put together like this big old email where I responded to somebody, and it comes right back to me. It's like their email address is invalid, or something happens. So, just so you know, for somebody out there that thinks I might have ignored them, that may be the case. You know? Um, Now, I've had that happen on more than one occasion. And it's, trust me, it's as aggravating for me as it is for you. Because I hear I have devoted a whole bunch of time to write in an email reply and then it comes right back to me. It's like, oh, I'm going to tear out your hair, you know? And, um, anyway, oh, and also I want to thank, you know, the people that have, um, donated to the ministry. Um, it's impossible just about for me to write replies at this point. Um, I, I can do that via email if somebody, just like an online donation, but the ones that send me things, it's really, really tough for me to respond. But I do want to just take time to thank you. God bless you. And for all the people that are praying for the, for the ministry uh, and, and for uh, my daughter and myself. And I, I just praise the Lord Jesus Christ for you. I know I would, I would be dead, literally, by now if it wasn't for the prayer of the saints. I really believe that. I've been told that by a lady that I really respect who was... Um, great prayer warrior, and she told me, she flat out, when I first started all this, she said, if you don't have people praying for you, she said, you won't survive. You won't be able, you you will not. Not not the type of ministry that I'm in. I mean, I shouldn't be able to do what I'm doing. I mean, in reality, I shouldn't be able to go get up here and say what I'm saying. But, again, that's why I pray uh, Psalm 64 as well, and the prayers of my listeners, uh, hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity. This is something that you should be praying about yourself and your own family. And the Bible also says, pray that you be accounted worthy to escape all the things that are coming on the world and to stand before the Son of Man. So, these are things that we should be praying. But most Christians don't even think to pray it. You know. So, let's go further. He said, um, you'll have battles when you fast. Oh, what I was going to tell you about the liver. When you start to fast and your liver starts to dump toxins, the liver is the chief site in the body where carcinogens, meaning cancer-causing products, are broken down through two enzyme pathways called cytochrome P450 phase 1 and phase 2 enzyme pathways. Okay, the liver is the chief site where that takes place. Okay, so the liver in most people is like a gummed-up oil filter. Okay, if you have a really gummed-up oil filter in your car, it's not going to filter very good. Well, that's how most people's livers, livers are. And most people have fatty livers as well in America. Okay? Fatty livers do not function well. Fatty livers can turn sclerotic, which is almost like a necrosis, almost like a... You've heard sclerosis of the liver. Well, fatty livers will tend to turn sclerotic or sclerosis if you let them go. One of the main easiest ways to... to um, Defat a liver is to take choline, choline, the B vitamin. You can get it at any health food store. You don't have to get the kind I recommend. Standard process makes a choline, but you can get that at any health food store. And um, 
if you're going to embark upon a gallbladder or a liver flush, where the, you know the ones where you drink the olive oil and the apple juice and stuff, make sure that you do choline for a couple weeks before you do that flush. Because here's why: most people have a sack full of gallstones in their gallbladder. I know I did dissection for one year in college. Every single body that I checked had a sack full of gallstones. Every one, without exception. Now, if you have what they call a hard calcium oxalate crystal gallstone in there, it only takes one, and it's big, and it's bigger than the bile duct itself, which is where the gallbladder releases bile. Bile is produced by the liver, stored in the gallbladder, and what it does is it, it emulsifies fat. It's, it's how one of the ways we digest fat, through another, and also through another enzyme called lipase that the pancreas produces. But anyway, your gallbladder's sitting there, and it's loaded with gallstones, Okay, first time I ever did gallbladder flush, I passed like over a hundred of these stones. But they look like peas almost. They weren't hard. But some people can have hard calcium oxalate crystal gallstones. If you do a flush and you haven't dissolved or broken down that stone to any kind of degree, it can literally tear its way out of the gallbladder. When you take that in, in a gallbladder flush, they'll have you drink uh, olive oil the last day and it stimulates a real hard contraction of the gallbladder. And it can tear its way out. That can kill you. Okay, that can cause peritonitis, and you can die real quick from peritonitis. So, I recommend, if you're going to do the gallbladder flush that you've seen, you can get them online or whatever. I got one I can send you, whatever. Make sure you do choline for a couple weeks. Okay, what it will do is not only does it defat the liver, but it helps to dissolve gallstones. Kidney stones, usually simple to fix. Simple. I do three things for kidney stones. Fossil food by standard process, because most kidney stones, about 90% of them are calcium-based stones. Okay? You do fossil food by standard process. You put 30 drops in, in, in orange juice. Take that 20 or 30 drops three times a day. You do The standard process has a product called Arginex which is like gum out for the kidneys, it cleans it out. And then also, I do a good magnesium. Magnesium and phosphorus compete with calcium in the body, and you will literally melt the stone in the kidneys with that protocol. I have had many people that were scheduled for, for literal surgery. Either lithotripsy, which is where they take a ultrasound and burst it through the, the kidneys in a tank of water, and it breaks up the kid in the stone into little shards, and you, it's like passing ground glass. It's really fun, I heard. Really fun, tearing their way out. Ugh. Anyway, or the surgery to actually remove the stone, which is also equally as insane. You can accomplish the same thing with those three products. They will literally melt the stone in your body. You don't have to... You don't have, uh, the point is, is you, you, you have a, gall, a sack of gallbladder stones... Well, does that mean your gallbladder is stupid and it has to come out? Well, if it gets infected enough, yeah. Most people wait until it's so infected and so inflamed and so full of stones that they've got no choice but to get that surgery where they, they remove it. Lap, laparoscopy, where they go in there and they remove the gallbladder. Oh, great, now you don't have a gallbladder. Now you'll never digest fats properly again in your whole life, ever. Because you don't have the reservoir for bile in your body anymore. Well, great, now you'll never digest fat-soluble vitamins ever again, right? 
What are those? Oh, little thing like vitamin A, D, E, K. Ah, you don't need that. You'll never digest fats again either. They'll just go rancid in the gut. I'm serious. A bile is also needed for, for um, intestinal lubrication. You never die, you know. You're, you're going to be in a mess. You get your gallbladder removed. People that have gotten their gallbladder removed should be on bile salts with any fatty meal for the rest of their life. But the MDs don't tell them that. Oh, no, you don't need it. It was just a stupid ancillary organ. We're evolving out of that organ probably anyway, just like the appendix and the tonsils are unnecessary. That's garbage. The tonsils are your first line of defense. They've actually also found many um, things that the, the appendix actually does as well. God put everything there for a reason. God's not stupid, and he made us, and we're created in his image. So, those are just some tips for you. Okay? You can get things like, you can probably find these products online. You might be able to go to a health food store and see if they've got like a phosphorus drop. You, you can usually find a good uh, liver kidney detox at health food stores, or also um, you can go online and do the gallbladder do, do the gallbladder flush. But just remember, do the choline beforehand. Um, I'm just giving you this for free. I am, I'm just trying to help as many people as I can possibly help, because we're body, soul, and spirit. And um, if Satan can nail us in our body, we're only as strong as the weakest link in our chain. I mean, you could be on fire for the Lord and want to do all the stuff, but if you're physically incapacitated, well, you're not going to do a whole lot. It's just kind of cause and effect. So, anyway, um, let's go further here. Uh, let's go to the next part. I'm going to see how far I can get here. Next part is entitled Recent Barbaric Experiments in Medicine. Another lighthearted title, I know. Anyway, this is from October 12th, Dr. Mercola. The following scientific experiments are considered sick, unethical, and just plain sadistic by today's standards. I'm just going to list some. These are all true, all valid, and there's many, many more that we could add to the list. 1939, the monster study, which involved berating and ridiculing children. World War II, Porton down experiments, during which military servicemen were exposed to toxic nerve agents. Program F, which involves saturating public drinking water supplies in Newburgh, New York, with high levels of fluoride for 12 years. Well, now they've only backed off and they've, they've only put the fluoride in the lower levels, you know, because they're, they're kinder and gentler. 1971 Stanford Prison Experiment, which is a mock study of volunteer prisoners, inmates carried out in the basement of Stanford University that caused lasting psychological trauma to many participants. The Milgram Experiment, which studied the effects of Authority on human behavior. Uh, I don't know how that one was that bad, but anyway. 1950s and 1970s Holmesburg dermatological experiments, which involved injecting Holmesburg prison inmates with cancer-causing chemicals like dioxin. 1950s through 60s Project MK Ultra. Remember we, we read that earlier as part of that RFID chipping thing, what they were patterning it after? Project MKUltra, which involved the CIA giving LSD and other mind-altering drugs to uninformed test subjects. 1960s, Willowsbrook Hepatitis Experiment, during which researcher Saul Krugman infected mentally disabled children with hepatitis B so he could develop vaccines for it. 1970s and 80s, Aberson Project. 
which involved inhumane experiments like electroshock therapy, castration, for sex change operations among those suspected of being homosexual in the South Africans' military. 1932 Tuskegee experiment, which involved 400 black men from Alabama with syphilis. Researchers did not inform them that they had the disease, which allowed them to spread it to others. Oh, this is so sickening. Despite the symptoms, and they did not offer them treatment, even though it could have been treated with uh, penicillin in 1947. It could have been treated with colloidal silver, which was way before that as well. You ever seen somebody that has tertiary syphilis, which is what will happen if you just let syphilis go? It gets to your brain. I mean, it is about as horrific of a thing as you could possibly imagine. They go insane. Totally insane. And it's violently insane a lot of times. That's what happens when you just let somebody go with syphilis. An additional study called the U.S. Public Health Service Sexually Transmitted Disease Inoculation Study of 1946-48 involved intentionally infecting Guatemalans with syphilis, gonorrhea, and shankers. The U.S. government just apologized for the study in October of 2010. Remember this? They just apologized to these Guatemalans? Yeah, that just happened. And I give you the sources here. The scientific experiments detailed in the links above are mind-twistingly, jaw-droppingly shocking. I know that wasn't grammatically correct, but that's how he worded it. They make you wonder how anyone could ever conceive of doing something uh, like these experiments. Well, the question may never be answered, as human experimentation not only existed well into the 20th century, it's still going on today. Right now, virtually everyone reading this or taking part in any number of unethical experiments you're not being told about, involving substances, technologies that stand to seriously harm your health. Okay, so let's we'll just list some of these. Now, I know I've covered these a lot more in depth than other studies. I just thought that there was a lot of things here where we just kind of hit the high points. Remember Vioxx, the arthritis drug that increases heart attack risk by 50%, yet was allowed to remain on the market despite early warning signs and risks involved? 60,000 people died from Vioxx before it was taken off the market. But if one chiropractor's out there and causes like some kind of neck injury or something, it's front page news. Yet, they can kill 60,000 with one drug and it's swept under the rug. Well, that's, that's the way Big Brother works. The Big Brother pharmaceutical pharma cartel, they're the ones that have the money. So they demonize alternative medicine and call us quacks when they themselves are the ones that should be demonized because they're earning that moniker and they're the ones that are the quacks. They're the number one cause of death in the United States. Did you know that? The medical profession? If you add up all the ways that they have killed people, properly prescribed medications, improperly prescribed medications, nosocomial infections, which are infections you get in a hospital when you stay there, um, unnecessary surgeries, even even surgeries that were were properly done, uh, all kind of. There, there's a lot of factors that factor in. That if you add up all those numbers, they actually kill more people than either cancer or heart disease. And I've got a, I've got a uh, a paper that proves it. It's called "Destroyed for Lack of Knowledge: What Your Doctor's Not Telling You." And I got a chart there. It shows you right there. So. More recently, as I discussed in yesterday's newsletter, this is Dr. McCullough talking, Avandia has killed over 83,000 people who thought that they could cheat the sugar monster and it failed. Avandia, the blood sugar thing? That's killed 83,000. And that's the ones we know about. 
Shockingly, this drug is banned in Europe, but still available in the U.S. The FDA finally decided to restrict its use in the United States last month and still remain on the market. Despite the um, steep threats it has to the heart. My point is, is if you're taking one or more of these medications, you're acting as an experimental guinea pig, despite the, um, the guise of safety. Clinical safety studies are limited in scope. And even if they were done ethically, they cannot possibly predict every outcome that could occur when a synthetically created drug is introduced into your body. And I added a whole bunch of stuff into this article this last two weeks as I was getting stuff. I just put it in there because it pertained to what we're talking about. This one's, this one's neat. You'll like this. The FDA approves its first drug from gene-altered goats. Maybe it's the goat of Mendez. DNA from the goat of Mendez, even better. This is the first drug produced by livestock that has been given a human gene. So they're giving, well, what is that? That's a chimera, or a chimera, or whatever they call it. Not a camaro, which is the sports car. But a chimera, or a chimera, sorry. Or not cremora, which is the creamer you put in coffee. Anyway, um, yeah, they, um, they've given Mr. Goaty a human gene. And then produced a drug from that. Kind of sounds nifty. Yeah. Um, the Bible says that everything is to produce, produce after its own kind. We're not supposed to go combining human gene with goat genes and then deriving a drug from that. How sick is that? I mean, it's just unbelievable. But see, Satan has just got to pollute God's creation in every way, shape, and form. And this is all part of it. Uh, made by a company called GTC Biotherapeutics, the human anti-clotting protein is produced in a herd of 200 bioengineered goats living under carefully controlled conditions on a farm in central Massachusetts. Well, I'm glad it's carefully controlled, you know. Makes me feel a lot better. This is the first drug from a herd of genetically engineered animals created specifically to serve as a living pharmaceutical factories. That's vile. That is just vile. But yeah, you know, anything to make a drug and make a buck. Satan knows what he's doing. He's good at what he does. Here's another one. New superbugs raising concerns worldwide. Urinary tract infections, pneumonia, other common ailments caused by germs that carry a new gene with the power to destroy antibiotics or intensifying fears of a fresh generation of superbugs. The gene NDM number one is apparently widespread in parts of India, has been identified in just three U.S. patients, all of whom received treatment in India and recovered. But the gene's ability to affect different bacteria and make them resistant to many medications marks a worrying development in the fight against infectious diseases, which can mutate to defeat humans, antibiotics, the human antibiotic arsenal. See, antibiotics are only effective against a small range of bacteria, and they're totally worthless against viruses. Okay? The problem thus far is seemingly small, but the potential is enormous. This is, in some ways, our worst nightmare, said Brad Spielberg, an infectious disease specialist at L.A. Biomed, which is Los Angeles Biomedical Research Institute at UCLA Medical Center, and the author of, quote, The Rising Plague Book about an antibiotic resistance. Now, if you haven't ever seen it, you ought to go up on YouTube. Go to YouTube and can Scott Johnson and Ken Avion or Avion Flu. And you'll actually be able to watch the presentation I did 
uh, in Topeka, Kansas at the Prophecy Club on the Avion flu. It was back in like 2005. But it's just as pertinent today. Because the same principle applies today. Because Satan's been trying for a long time to pull that trigger switch for a pandemic. And the information I get into isn't just about the avian flu. It's about depopulation. It's about vaccinations. It's about proactive ways to defend yourself. You really should avail yourself to that information. Uh, I worked like six months on that PowerPoint presentation. It was like 150 slides. And it's just as pertinent today as it was back then. Obviously, I could do... And I've done a couple revamped versions of it that you'll probably find up there as well. Okay? Uh, but, anyway, uh, let's see. He says, you take a very common bacteria that live in us and that can travel from person to person, and you introduce it into some of the nastiest antibiotic-resistant mechanisms there are. Now, I give you the links here to, to my website on the mild silver protein, which, again... Uh, March 1970 issue of Science Digest said in an article entitled Our Mightiest Germ Fighter, they reported an antibiotic kills perhaps half a dozen, half a dozen different disease organisms, organisms, bacteria. But this colloidal silver kills some 650. Resistant strains fail to develop. Meaning you, they can't mutate for colloidal silver. They can mutate for an antibiotic thus creating these super strain. But that does not happen with silver. You just have to make sure the strength you're using is strong enough. Okay? Um, UCLA Medical Center said colloidal silver killed every virus that was tested in the lab. So I give you the link to my website, also my doctor's desk reference. Actually, this site is put up for me by the Invive Silver factory. They did so when they did that tour back in 05. And... Um, so, they were the ones that, that put it up there for me. But, um, also, I am still running this special on silver. And, um, you can't get that off the, um, off my website at dr-johnson.com. But if you email me, I'll email you the special on the silver that I'm currently running right now. And you save quite a bit of money if you order it that way. So, let's go further. Uh, Tracy wrote me, and she said, I'm trying to sweat, uh, how do I get rid of a fever? I'm trying to sweat it out. I'm eating cayenne powder. Is there anything else I can do? Okay. My reply. Fevers are our body's natural way to kill infections, as an elevated body temperature kills infections. A lot of people know that. But see, we're taught medically, oh, it's a fever. Oh, you must lower it. What does that do? It prolongs the infection. God gave us fevers in order to kill infections. Now, if it's above 104... For an extended period of time, okay, that's one thing. A quick way you can lower a fever, if it's above 104, okay, for an extended period of time, and that's generally about what I would tell people, um, here's the quickest way to lower fever. You rub peppermint oil on the balls of the, on the bottom of their feet. You won't believe how quick it'll lower it typically. It's that easy. Okay, but again, I'm reluctant to do that. Unless it's really at a high elevated temperature for a long period of time. Because that's the body's primary way to kill bad guys. In, its, in, a, in a primary immune system function. Colloidal silver works differently. It acts as a secondary immune system that is not dependent upon your immune system. So it's kind of like helping your own immune system out without actually... But it's, act, it's doing so in a secondary manner. 
Okay. Uh, let's see here. Um, most people are not aware of the role calcium also plays in our immune system. It is actually one of the chief fuels upon which our immune system runs upon. White blood cells are the main tool of our immune system used to destroy foreign infectious invaders. White blood cells use calcium as the main fuel to propel themselves and destroy these invaders through the process of called phagocytosis. They have these little spindles on the side of them, the white blood cells, and the spindles are how they get to where they're getting. So if you have an infectious site of the body, the, the white blood cells have to ramp up and get there. Okay, And the calcium is actually what propels the primary source of fuel that propels these little spindles. You don't have enough calcium, then you can't get the white blood cell to the target tissue. So if we don't have enough usable calcium in our body, our immune system cannot ramp up, get to, and kill these infectious invaders. It's like having a guided missile with no way of getting it off the ground. Consequently, if you have a low amount of usable calcium in your system, forget about having a strong immune system. Now, that's just one aspect of the immune system. There's also vitamin C, which I believe is very important. There's also zinc. Silver is a whole separate deal because that's like a secondary immune system. Okay, And obviously, there's a lot of other things that contribute to immune system function. Just going over some of the big ones. Uh, calcium is not something that can be manufactured in the body unless it is leached out of our bones, which over time can cause osteoporosis. One of the main signs we are deficient in calcium during the throes of an infection is a high body temperature or fever. That's why I brought this up, because she mentioned fever. If, you're, if, you're, if you've got a fever and you just can't get it lowered and lowered and lowered, it's a sign that you're actually low in usable calcium in the body. Your body might have white blood cells, but they might not be able to get to where they're going, so the fever stays elevated because it can't quite get the job done, so it's doing it's pulling out all the stops to try to kill the infection because the white blood cells aren't able to get to where they need to get to. One of the things that got me into alternative healthcare field was a poorly functioning immune system. Now, this is me kind of giving my testimony here. I have found one of the main components in building a strong immune system is keeping calcium reserves high in the body. The best product I've found to accomplish this is calcium lactate by standard process. Not to say you can't use another one, okay? Make sure it's at least something like calcium citrate, and not the kind you get from a drugstore, you know, citricol. Don't, don't use that. Go, go get a decent one at a health food store. Um, I, I'm just going to read the rest of this. Before... You ask about the other calcium products in the market. This is why I recommend this one. After this product is ingested, it only takes one biological step in the body to convert to calcium lac uh, to convert to to convert the calcium lactate into an active, usable calcium in the body, which is called calcium bicarbonate. That's the only form of calcium that our bodies can use. Um, and there's not another form that I know of that only takes one step to get to that. So, in other words, it doesn't take a lot of, of, of uh, biological processes to get there. Now, to give you an example, calcium carbonate, which is the calcium in the form of like Tums or Rolaids, is the most cheap form that you can get. And it's, it's typically what you'll get if, if you get a calcium product. Oyster shell, dolomite, calcium carbonate. You might as well just go out and grind up some rocks some calcium rocks and eat them because that's exactly what it is. Your body can't do anything with that. Okay, so for that form of calcium, calcium carbonate, uh, 
which again, it's really super cheap to produce, and most people don't know the difference. They take it. Well, that takes 13 steps. Remember, 13 is the number of rebellion. Sorry, but anyway. Um, that takes 13 steps to convert to usable calcium in the body. And as a result, you end up absorbing like 5% or something of that. Whereas the other kind, you know, the closer you can get it to the calcium bicarbonate form, it takes a lot less steps. So that's why I uh, recommend the other. Uh, let's see. Uh, again, I give you some other things in here regarding this subject. Um, it's uh, If you don't have enough stomach acid, it's another reason people won't digest calcium. They also won't be able to digest iron, uh, these types of things. And so you can do one to two teaspoons of organic apple cider vinegar twice a day to naturally increase the good acids in your stomach. And acid reflux is a whole other subject that I just don't have time to get into, but there's a lot of garbage that we're fed about that subject as well that's not true. If you were to take organic apple cider vinegar, in a nutshell, with a meal that would normally offend you, like let's say cause acid reflux, and it helped you, what that's telling you is that you don't have enough good acid. You have too much bad acid. There's called the acids of putrefaction, and then there's good acids, like hydrochloric acid. Now some people have a stomach lining that's been so thinned out, and so worn so thin, from the bad acids that they can't handle good or bad. That's a whole other deal. So you're going to have to email me on that one and, and ask me. I'll, I'll send you my newsletter. My email is drjohnson at the letter i, the letter x, dot netcom, n-e-t-c-o-m, dot com. Or you can go up to contendingfortruth.com, look at the right side of the webpage, and you, you'll see it there. Um, and I also give you some other hints on here regarding calcium Utilization. I'm going to go forward here because I'm running out of time. Actually, I tell you what. I'm going to go to the, my last part here and we'll see if we can get through these last seven pages. God bless you.